it's hot. Ow. It's very hot, yeah. <sighs> Alright. Sit back, relax. Alright, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson. And I'm here with a very special guest. Not really a guest. The beautiful and effervescent Zilpha. And um, we're here in the tub. Um, so, um, a long time ago, back in episode 45, I think I just looked it up. Oh, you think you did? Well, I looked it up, but I think it's 45. Um, I think I interviewed you with the premise, right? Because mm-hmm. um, Tom interviewed me, I think, so then I interviewed you. And so we've had other questions come up since then, and that's been, well, uh, probably a year and a half ago. Oh? Yeah. Wow. So lots happened since then. Yeah, I suppose. So we thought we'd do a follow-up episode. And so I wrote down all of this, these things for us to talk about. And you didn't bring them to the tub. Well, I wrote them on the computer. So, and I didn't bring the computer with me into the tub. One of the ideas that we had talked about was um, just having a conversation about parenting after leaving the church. Yeah, we've been asked about that sort of stuff. Well, let's, maybe before that, let's talk about podcast. So, I mean, a podcast is a big part of our lives, right? Um, keeps us busy. So, I mean, busy? how do you feel about that? Um, I think it's fun. I don't mind the time you spend working on it. So everybody loves everybody loves Zilpha. How come you're not on the podcast more? We already talked about this. Well, <laughs> but you don't know if these guys have heard that. Reason is. <laughs> Right. I only I only participate when it's interesting to me, and not all of the topics are interesting. Um, so, so John, are you getting burned out yet? <laughs> Am I getting burned out yet? Um, to some extent, yes. To other extent, no. Um, the podcast creates a lot of work. Um, what keeps you going? It's been over two years since you started working on this. Project. Yeah, so we started we started early, a couple months before it went on the air, and we first aired June of 2009. Yeah. And so we just released this last week, episode 144, um, and some of those episodes are multiple parts. So what what is it that keeps your motivation up? Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting thing to do. I think it's sort of fun. Um, and it's been fun also now that we're here in Utah to have the studio, have people come by and, and, um, and do that. And maybe that's the motivator. It's been really fun to meet people. And we love to meet, you know, people who've heard the podcast or whatever. And we love to have them come over to the house. And I mean, that's just been the, the thrill, you know, and I get three or four or five emails a week from people just in all sorts of things. You know, I, I got one just today. From a poor fellow who's been dating a Mormon girl for a few years, they were they were talking about marriage, and then she just came out of the blue and dropped the bomb on him and said, um, "I need somebody to take me to the celestial kingdom," and broke up with him. 
And wow. he's like, I have no idea what's going on. I don't understand this, you know. Wow. Um, but we get a lot of positive things. You know, a lot of people who, uh, it's sort of a voice in the wilderness for them. They're out in Timbuktu, as far as Mormonism goes, and they don't have a lot of ex-Mormons or liberal Mormons to talk to, and we're sort of the only voice of reason. You are not the only voice of reason. You mean for them, um... In dealing with the church, you're not going to get um, reasonable, and I mean that by the real definition of the word, um, discussions about the church at church. Right, right. I'm just saying that there are other websites and podcasts. And oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we don't have a monopoly on it, but, but um, we have a sort of a different voice, a different style than the other stuff. It's neither better nor worse. It's just what, what we are, and we appeal to some people, and we don't appeal to others, and that's fine. I mean, that's even true within the podcast. You know, there's lots of people who record, and I doubt there's, well, there's probably some people who might dig on everything we put out, but I doubt it. So, you know, the, the question of motivation, I think um, when people leave the church, they go through an angry phase. And some people do. I never really did. Oh, uh, that's true. But most people go through a readjustment. Well, I've heard you say some angry things, but I don't think you went around with some, Actually, some bitterness I, or anything. No, I never was bitter. I, I really never was angry. There are certain things that get me angry, like um, just it, some of the things that the, that the brethren say to manipulate people get, gets me angry. And the fact that I was duped um, doesn't bother me. I mean, I, I was a very dupable person yeah, when that, I was young and moldable. Everything in society is is out there to kind of dupe us in a way. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. I, I know there's people who feel bad, like, oh, I was fooled, and that, that doesn't bother me at all. Or I mean, they we feel were... angry that the, that the church, they feel like the church purposefully fooled them and kept kept information from them that they needed to make a, a rational decision. And that was never given to them. Yeah, well, I mean, that's true. But, I mean, to paraphrase Noam Chomsky, the most effective liar is somebody who doesn't know that they're lying. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and, you know, there's this system, and it evolved. The church, the church is a study in evolutionary um, organizations, I guess. And you can't really look at any one person and blame it on them. Because the church that Joseph Smith was creating is not the church we have today. And the church that Brigham Young was creating is not the church that we have today, um, although they definitely fed into it. So if you try to find blame, you're not going to find it. You're going to find a corporation with thousands of employees, each making little decisions that add up. Um, but, you know, to that point of anger, you know, what what motivates me now mostly is that we can help the people. Plus, I'm, I'm still interested in Mormon studies in the abstract, especially the um, old doctrines and how they evolved and the history of the church. And, um, changes that that have occurred from from the origins until now, which are yeah, many, definitely, which are really interesting, um, which are many and bizarre. But I and think, especially since nobody likes to talk about them in the church, you don't hear about oh, it used to be this way, and then it got changed to this, and now it's morphed into this. They just say this is how it is, this is how it's always been, and this is how it always will be. Right, and the Sunstone crowd, I mean, which are a lot of friends of mine, and, and I don't mean to be too mean to them, I think they do a lot of turd polishing. You know, they try to um, make some things sound better than they actually are by synthesizing them with a lot of different ideas and, and, and that sort of stuff. And 
I think sometimes we have to strip away all that crap and just look and say, well, what, you know, not how did what they were doing relate to this, you know, 14th century idea in Turkestan, but what really were they doing and what did they think they were doing? Right. You know, and um, I, I think I think those threads are interesting. But I think during the two years, I'm I'm becoming less tolerant of the church itself. Definitely. Um, I mean, I've totally noticed that in you, especially since conference in the fall. Well, it's the church. Year. The church is so corrupt, and 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 go, going to what I said a minute ago, the problem is they think they're not. Um, and they're so patently so to and someone who looks. I think everybody else in the world is corrupt. Yeah, I mean, Prop 8 is a great example. I, I mean, I for me, I disagree with their position on Prop 8, but I agree with their right to make that assertion, you know. But they seem so naively ignorant and um, hostile in their um, defense, their willingness to take up the victimhood, when there was a little bit of pushback. Um, and some of the pushback turned violent. I don't think anybody got their head bashed in, but there was, um, there was, uh, you know, vandalism. And the church seemed completely this, we can go and bully people and put money around and do these shadow campaigns. But anybody who voices their opinion in return, it's, it's the same thing that religious people have, um, all the time with this. Our religion and our rights of religion is the right to tell you what to do. You know, I can see the Mormons say, we want to marry in the temple, and that's our right. Okay, fair enough. We want to have multiple wives, that's our, our right. But our religion says that you can't marry who you want to. Right. And that, that's why I think where religion you, is dangerous. Or where you want to. Right. So in all this, um, all this that we've seen, uh, what's the biggest problem that you think we encounter? I mean, with people and the church and, and all that the sort of stuff. The biggest problem is when one spouse loses their belief and the other spouse... Um, remains strong in the faith. I think that, that's been the most disturbing um, thing for us to to see and to hear the stories. And I mean, there's just no there's no easy answer for that situation at all. I mean, there is a no win situation on both sides. Um, there was somebody who I think posted on Facebook a day or two ago that said the question like. What would you recommend to tell or to, and here's what I would recommend, and I say this in all sincerity, get the books on how to deal with when uh, one of the spouses cheats, when there's infidelity. Because when one leaves the church, and especially, well, just when one leaves the church, my opinion is it has the exact same emotional impact as, a, as with infidelity and adultery. And if the couple goes through those exercises, that's the best advice I can give them because it is so serious. It is such a loss for the believer to lose that influence and that eternal spouse and that family, just everything the church builds around that, mm -hmm. the emotional betrayal they feel, and then the emotional betrayal that the leaving spouse feels. And, you know, quite frankly, even if you both leave, you're going to have to redefine your relationship. Um, because it's no longer defined for you. Right. You know, I've said before that, you know, if you got married in the 19th century, it was a lot easier because everybody knew what everybody was supposed to do. The rules were, the rules were defined. defined and they were trained for. Right. Yeah. So as soon as you got married, you, you didn't knew, have to wonder what you were supposed to do next. Right. And the problem with the modern era is we have to renegotiate everything. 
There's no expectation of who does the laundry, of who does the dishes, of who mows the lawn, who goes to work. The kids changes the diapers, and And that's a huge burden. That's a huge burden because every couple has to work out every Every. damn detail. Yeah, and then when you take out the one like defined factor, which was the church influence, that you both shared that vision and you both shared that kind of. Um, way of looking at your marriage, then you have to renegotiate all over again. Well, you, you're back to zero completely because no roles are defined anymore. If, if, if you're the man and you're leaving, you know, you're no longer the priesthood influence. She no longer has the priesthood in her home. She no longer has all that stuff. She no longer should or, um, feels obligated to defer to the man. Right. Yeah. If, if she leaves, decisions. you know, like what, what is she going to do? And this goes for both of them. Um, on a moral basis, you know, the church spends all their time telling them that only the church has morality. That if you can't, you can't trust yourself. That if you rely on your own moral moral compass, you'll end up in a gutter. <laughs> so one of them leaves, and there's going to be a lack of trust every time they set foot out of their house. You know, especially they, if they find a receipt for beer purchased, you know, at a restaurant. Or just or the most, because, yeah, because there's no sense of oh scale. You find out they were at Starbucks, and for a lot of Mormons, that's the same as finding out they were with an escort. <laughs> because, because that, that whole, if the church and the gospel is the moral compass, and I mean, the church says it's flat out, and somebody leaves, I mean, that's, that's just, that's just gonna mess with your head. And it's amazing that any relationships survive it at all. Yeah, it is. It's, and this is why, you know, I say and most I, of them don't seem to fare very well. No, they don't. And that's, that's been the heartbreak that we've seen over and over and over again. And it's, the, this, this is why I say I'm, I'm less and less tolerant of the church because the church is sowing this discord. The church is responsible for these. If, if you go around telling people that whoever doesn't buy your dogma, has no moral compass, they'll do anything, they'll say anything, they're liars, they're cheaters, all that kind of stuff, which is either overtly said or implied, then you're going to get this mess. You're going to get this wreckage. If you tell women that their that their, you know, celestial salvation is is based on having a worthy priesthood holder to kind of hold their hand to get there, and then their worthy priesthood holder it you know, ceases to exist as that. Well, it, it, yeah, and if either spouse how, believes, how is, how is she? Yeah, if she really believes that, then he or she is gone in the next world. Yeah, so it's it's almost like the church really doesn't give you an option to say, "Well, I just want to be with this person for this life." It's right. like, no, that's just wasting your your time and your effort and your love. Well, Find and, someone you can be with forever. And there's an article in the Enzyme every three or four months. Talking about reconversion and doing this and doing that and you know. So you're saying people are holding out hope. Well, that just annoys people. Unnecessarily. I, I mean, a message to everybody in the church: all this bringing brownies and other stuff is transparent. It's so transparent, and that's what's funny to yeah, but people. It tastes good. That's a, but it works on us. <laughs> um, it's but but. That's what's funny to people outside the church. And if you talk to people who've encountered Mormons, but they see it all the time. I mean, you have this shy couple that... bringing this stuff over. Who, I was talking to a coworker yesterday, and she moved into their ward. She's a non-member, never been a member. Moved into their ward um, four or five months ago. And she said, this guy, she thought it was the bishop. And I said, well, it could have been your home teacher. Said, came knocked on her door. 
and said, and she lives on a dead end. I called Zach. He was from three streets over. Just walking through the neighborhood, thought I'd say hi. And she was just, she was really disturbed by that. She's like, he's not just walking. You don't just go three streets over and knock on somebody's door. And I was trying to tell her, oh, they're just trying to be nice. They're just trying to, you know, get you into the church. Um, you know, but she was kind of freaked out by it because it was not behavior that would be, that would be accepted. And the brother would get up in conference all the time and talk about, oh, you know, you should, your friends and not be afraid. You want to lose every friend you ever had, start pushing that stuff down their throats. Yeah, but at the same time, if you really believe it, that there's nothing more important than trying to convert your friends. Well, this is why Bill Maher says people really don't believe their religion. Exactly, because well, they don't walk around if trying they really to believe it. convert their coworkers <laughs> and stuff all the time. It's it's true. So we said a few minutes ago that, or at least I said, um, that the same trouble even comes if you both leave together. That the same readjustment has to occur. It's not as stark, but I think people have to find themselves, you know. And so, how did we survive that? Well, what, what, um, then it's been a while. I think it was strange for me to think that this was just a lifetime commitment. A marriage. Yeah. But I was still satisfied with that fact. Like, that didn't dissuade me from our relationship. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we, like all couples, had our ups and downs. I don't think we ever had. Maybe it's better. Because <laughs> then you don't have to think, oh, I have to put up with this forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you always have the option to leave now, right? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you did before too, but it wasn't. It was not nearly as. Um, right. You were fooling yourself before, because I think a lot of a lot of Mormons get well, married and have eternal marriage and think their marriage is. You see a lot of Mormons who don't put any effort into their marriage at all. Yeah. But I, I think the biggest difference between us and other people is we just always talked about all this stuff. Yeah, which is why we were able to leave together. Right. It never occurred to me to not, like, if I was reading some funky book and found something funny, um, it never occurred to me not to just say, hey, Zilf, come check this out. But if, if when you did that, if I said, oh, you're awful, you're reading that book, put that down right So why didn't right you say away. that? Because I thought it was funny. <laughs> I mean, it was disturbingly funny, but um, it just wasn't disturbing enough to, to say, I don't want to hear it. Well, there were times where you were ahead of me and I was ahead of you. Well, it came to the point when we we just, it, anyone who, who leaves the church for doctrinal reasons or historical reasons comes to the point when they say, it doesn't matter what... I find, but I want to know the truth, and the truth is more important than than anything else. So I think that's the page we were on: is that we we wanted to know the truth about the history and the truth about the doctrines that were taught. Well, there's an important aspect that I've never I've never really talked about publicly. Well, yeah, um, I mean, it's so so more complicated for us in some ways. So, um, we want to talk about this. So, so, um, when I started studying the church and started finding problems, I put the bar very, very high because our children are adopted. As, um, newborns. Yeah. So we have two children and we adopted them through, um, LDS, um, social services. And we were believing Mormons. We had our doubts that we struggled with, like a lot of people, but we still had a firm testimony. So, you know, we had temple recommends and everything. Like, there was no, 
There was no deception. We didn't think we were leaving the church no. at that point. But when when um, I started studying having real strong doubts, it was sort of like I had been entrusted with this this this, this with these children. And part of the entrust in the investiture was that we were active believing members. I mean, that, that was kind of the deal, right? So for me, I had to, because of those stakes, I knew that someday, and it, it hadn't happened, it's still mine, I might have to face down those folks and explain to them why after they trusted us with this responsibility, why we then left the church. So it amped everything up to 11 for yeah, me. Yeah, it really did. And um, for me too. And that's why I, you know, I, I've said this it before was, too. I, I, you know, I have a master's degree and I studied four times as hard and read 10 times as much material as I ever did to get my graduate degree. Yeah. And it took us, it took us years. Years. Because we did not want to have any doubt in our mind. So when we were 97% sure that the church was untrue, we stayed in. That wasn't enough. We had to be 100% sure before we stepped out. True. Which is... Because it was, I mean, yeah. Because we were supposed to raise children in the church. That was the, that was kind of the... That was the deal. Yeah. And, and then we took that very seriously. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we took our parenting very seriously, and we, we had to do what we felt was best for our children at that point. Right, and and the the um, last year we went to church, our 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 daughter was in nursery and was going to start the sunbeams, and that was probably for me. I had just been in some debates and talking to some people about misogyny in the church, and probably more than anything else. Did you say massage? misogyny oh. um, that for me more than anything else because I knew the indoctrination would start and it would be slowly taken in and about the time I heard um, um, Bob McHugh's interview with um, you know the church is not true podcast where Bob McHugh said you know somebody has to take the arrows it's going to be difficult for someone to leave the church and Bob said I decided it was to be me, not the next generation. Mm -hmm. And that really struck me to the core. Uh, thanks, Bob. And um, and I knew she was going to start. This is about October, so it would have been two two months. And I just said, that's it. I can't. I can't go anymore. Because I think I could have kept going. And, may, you know, I could have been some gnomish sort of guy who just always took the things metaphorically and whatever. But I didn't. It, but it, it, to it, allow your child to be indoctrinated. And to have to deal with the issues, you know, all over again. It, it, and rather than have our children go through that, mm -hmm. that we would go through that whole process and then they would never have to. Right. Because we knew it would be painful and it still is. I mean, we still, our families are still in, we still encounter those things today. But I think that hopefully it will be easier for them. They'll still have Mormon relatives. They'll still have a little bit of. There's no, there's no hopefully about with. it. I, I think it is better. And I, 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 for those people who say they stay in the church because it's a good way to raise children, I have to respectfully disagree. It is not a good way to raise children. It teaches them all sorts of unhealthy things about their bodies, about other people, about other people, about the way they look at the world, the world. about authority, about learning. And, and 
about the kind of God that exists? So, I mean, let's be clear. I am respectful and tolerant of people who are in the church. I was in the church for a lot of years. But I think it's wrong. And I think a lot, most of the teachings are bad. And I think most of the teachings that aren't are to be found everywhere. If you, if you make a list of saying, okay, so the church is good, and write down all the things about the church that are good, you will find those things friggin' everywhere. That, that I, I lay down the challenge to anybody out there to give me a uniquely Mormon thing that makes the world a better place. I don't, I don't think it's there. So, um, that's why I have to sort of respectively part ways with my friends, even in the ex-Mormon world, who want to really build bridges to the church. Because I think the church is going to play them. And I think they have good intentions and they have good hearts. But you, you the, the church is like the Taliban. There's no cooperation. They will use you and then they will stop using you when they can't use you anymore. The church is, the church is not a good organization. No table to pound. Um, child rearing. You get asked about that sometimes. Zilpha. Well, I mean, it's a, it's difficult. I mean, it was so much easier for my parents to just be able to bring us all to church, have the activities that the that the church coordinated, have the teachings that the church um, laid out for them. They knew exactly what to do. They knew exactly what to teach their children. They had the resources. We don't have have any of that support. But there are resources out there. There are some, but it's not just laid out for you. You have to go search for it. You have to figure out what you want to teach your children. You have to figure out what what is, you know, going to be beneficial to them, what's going to be harmful well, to them. Well, right, but what churches give families is a false sense of security. A yeah. false sense of black and white. And a lot of people, a lot of kids, um, you know, they take advantage of that false sense of security that their parents have. You know, they 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 will um, act out and their parents might not even know what they're doing because they think, oh, well, we've taught our children well and they're they're doing, just going to make all these, these perfect choices because we've taught them all these things, but um, they don't know that their kids are... Oh, you're saying the people who lazily depend yeah, on the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm thinking more down the line of they, they, they get simplistic answers. For example, no sex before marriage, right? That seems so black and white. Don't have sex. First of all, you can't even define what sex is. And there are people who go to the temple. If it has sex in the phrase, it's sex, like oral sex. <laughs> well, but, I mean, there's people who, you know, it's like... <laughs> that, well, but, I mean, let, let, let's go on this level. It's not always wrong to have sex before marriage, nor is it always right to have sex after marriage. Okay, but wrong and right is probably the wrong words to use. It's it's harmful sometimes to have sex before you're married, and it's not harmful other times. And it's also harmful sometimes not to. There's a natural progression of intimacy a couple needs, and to deny that, for long periods of time, will do psychological harm. And there's studies that show that. The people who delay sexual activity have, like, they, they get screwed up on things. Like, it's not just it's not just an easy answer saying it's always better to not have sex before marriage. Yeah, and, um, and the idea that you have to kind of shut off that part of you um, when, you're, when you're dating, and especially when you're seriously dating, that's the part where you you said it can cause psychological damage, especially for women. Oh, jeez. They they have a hard time then opening up. 
How many women have we talked to where they talk about, you know, they, there was no, 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 that on the wedding night, it just led them crying in the bathroom in tears because they were not psychologically equipped to deal with that level of intimacy. Yeah. And then the idea that, that, that. Yeah, if you're only going to be touching below the knees and like under the elbows and you're not going to be any, doing any deep kissing, you never have a chance to get intimate. And then all of a sudden you're supposed to screw. Well, now here's this guy coming at you with a, with a, <laughs> Uh, well, it's, it's just, it's, and I'm not even it talking about no, sex, I'm no talking about the intimacy. Causes, yeah, I know. I mean, you can't get intimate with someone just by touching their lower legs. Right. Because there's a natural progression of that stuff that's programmed into our, into our biology. And you want to teach children to make wise choices, but a wise choice is is always circumstantial on, the, on those things. Right. You have to use your brain to think through situations and try to try to make the best decision that you can, I mean, it's not always going to be easy to see if, you know, if the decision that you're going to make will have a good effect or a bad effect, but, you know, you can use your brain to, to sort of help out making the decision instead of just saying, oh, that's black and white. Right. So, so, um, I would say child rearing becomes a little bit more difficult, but only because you're aware of the difficulty. It's not like child rearing inside the church is any easier. It's not. You but they these things don't pay any attention to that. And, and, and it's true that if, if everybody follows the church straight line and then lives their life that way following the church straight line, the, the system will all work. Well, you but there's a huge percentage of people that doesn't work for. So the only way the church works is by constantly excommunicating and getting rid of people. It's like I, I, I read, I read some time ago that said the church, it was BYU had a BYU study. The church had a lower rate of people in the church who had committed adultery or something like that. But it didn't say anywhere in the article that the church will throw you out of the church for committing adultery. Uh-huh. So, so they're skewing their own numbers. And that's the only way the system works. Because if you have something that doesn't work for everybody, like if I have, if I have a hamburger joint, I say everybody loves hamburgers. How do I know? Because everybody comes to the counter, orders one. People who don't like hamburgers don't come into the store. And that's what the church is doing. Yeah. They're, they're, those people don't join the church. So they say, look how well this works. See how well the Romneys and stuff are? Because there's a tiny percentage of the population that it works for. And, and everybody else is com- out. And who feel comfortable in it. And some people just do feel comfortable in it. Yeah. You know? Oh, well, it works great for some people. Yeah. yeah. For some people, it isn't very psychologically powerful. I think it's always a little bit psychological. I think it, I think it always is. I haven't met a person who it hasn't, um, you know, harm psychologically in some way. But, but so. life is harmful psychologically. You're well, always going to get... There's so many things in life that most people can go and enjoy it and it's no big deal and it's, you know, like you go to a rock concert and, you know, 40% of the people will be like, oh, that was great. You know, 50% will be like, meh. And there's just 10% that's traumatized by the experience or, or whatever. You can't predict what, what that, how that's going to yeah. be. And that's how it is with parenting too because... Every kid is different, and it's impossible to not, you know, screw up in some way because mm-hmm. there's no perfect way to parent a child. There's just not. Well, what, so it, you can't you can't stress out too much about all the little nitty gritty stuff. Um, you know, when I studied child development, the, the the studies showed that if the good experiences in the family outweigh negative experiences in the family, the child will likely turn out fine. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, just kind of keeping the balance to, to positive. Well, it's like somebody once said in an idle conversation, what if your child turns, turns into a stripper? Well, if she's a happy stripper, that'd be better than being a miserable mother. Yeah. You know? If she likes it and she's comfortable with it, why not? Um, I, there's things I'd rather her do. I just like, I'd rather her be an engineer than working at the IHOP. But you wouldn't disown her or like belittle her for it. No, no. Uh, um, but it's this, it's this standard. You will, you know, marry young, have six kids and move to Sandy. And that's why so many people are miserable. But the other part of the reason they're miserable is there's half the ward that's just loving it. It's just great for them. And it's not like everybody is miserable there because some just dig on it. They, they love, you know, they getting love. the bleach in their hair, getting the boob jobs and uh, being the bishop's wife. <coughs> but most people seem to struggle and wilt under the weight of the church's expectations. I think a huge number does. And I think it's a growing number. I think the church speaks less and less to the rising generations. And I think those people who are 30-something in their early 40s right now, you go to the church and they all look dead. Yeah. The church is sucking the soul out of people. And the 20-year-olds are just saying, this is screw this, thing. I'm out of here. I have lots of other things going for me in my life, and right. this isn't one of them and it, that's working. And it, it's just it's become, it's become completely irrelevant. Yeah, well, they can find exactly the kind of people they want to hang out with. Well, that, all that, I mean, that's, you know, we talk about the internet, but, you know, social media and stuff is breaking the back of those organizations where there were a lot of people, and you can still find days saying, I can't leave the church because these are all the friends I know. Yeah, these are my friends and my neighbors, and I and I I stay in for social media. I think the biggest revelation that people leave the church, especially if they're in the, in, and they find come out to an activity because there's always parties and stuff, Post they realize... Type. Yeah, the post the post Mormon activities. They realize I'm not alone. There's people out there. I can have friends, and, and it's great... I can get along with them better than like anybody I've ever met before because they're like. And they learn that they're not broken because the church tells everybody and teaches everybody that you are sick and you are broken and you can't make good decisions by yourself. Right, and that's not true. <laughs> Time for bed. Yep. Anything else we want to talk about? These are friends on the podcast. How about we have another conversation another day? Another tub talk? Another tub talk. I was going to get more into who you and I are, but we were just complaining about the church instead. Why don't we do that next time? All right. Well, as always, the discussion continues on the website and the bath continues at our house. <laughs> but you can't join us for these recordings. Why not? Not even for room. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night.